standing, if you would, please, for the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word. We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be reading verses 13 to 18. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace give himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This morning, as we pray this morning, we especially remember Eric and Debbie Smith with OC International, who serve the Lord out of Colorado Springs, helping other ministries be more effective in their ministry. So join with me as we pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace that you lavish upon us every day of our lives. Lord, we're so grateful that uh, you have bestowed upon us the gift that is greater than every gift. For Lord, you have made a way where there was no way. You've given your son, your only son, to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, Lord, that we in turn might offer our lives just as we've just sung as at, the, at your altar, Lord, as a sacrifice to you. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we come before you today that we would receive your word and hear your word and see your word with open ears and open eyes and open mind. Lord, expecting that we might be transformed from glory to glory into the very image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for faithful servants here and around the world that so willingly and sacrificially serve you. We think especially of Eric and Debbie Smith this morning. Ask your hand of blessing and grace and strength and wisdom and endurance in their ministry, Lord, to you. These many years, Lord, you found them faithful, and may you continue to find them faithful as they serve you with whole hearts. Lord, we thank you for Eric, and we thank you for Debbie and their willingness to 
be used of you as your instruments of righteousness. And so, Lord, we, we pray this morning uh, with, the, with King David, Lord, and as he prayed, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God. Praise your glorious name. And so, Lord, we do thank you. We do praise you. We ask now, Lord, that uh, you would receive the words of our lips, the meditation of our heart. Lord, as we hear your word and receive your word, may all be pleasing to you, a sweet-smelling aroma before your throne, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Your lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on
praise you as our delight and our reward. Thank you that we are living our life sowing in fields of hope that will be harvested in heaven someday. Lord, we pray that you would draw our minds towards that reality, towards eternity this morning, the thought of life with you forever and ever. We pray that you would be our delight more and more, and that that would be true this morning in our hearts as we hear your word. Please help us to be humble, to submit to what you have for us this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you, and what a joy to open up God's Word with you now. In a world of uh, fakes and imitations and twisted lies, I think it's sometimes hard to discern the truth from error and to tell the genuine from knockoffs. I think at the same time, it's easy to be disheartened because of the pressure as we navigate life in a world that rejects the word of God. I was thinking this week, if I was going to help someone in danger, and let's say they were up on a really tall ledge and they were stuck, or let's say one of my kids were up in a tree and they were, they were unable to get down, what would I do? I think I would tell them, just keep listening to me, follow my instructions to a T, and I'm not going to leave you. I'm here with you. Just listen to what I say, believe me, trust me, and I'm with you. We're going to make sure you, you come to safety. And really, that's what we see throughout really bleeding through Second Thessalonians, this letter that is designed to help believers remain steadfast in the midst of trial. That what we see over and over again is God helping his church that has been harassed by problems, by persecution, even by their own pride, to cling to Christ. We come to the last two verses of Second Thessalonians, and the idea here is rest assured you have the genuine word of God and God's grace is with you. This is what we see at the end of the letter, and it, it is permeated. It's like cement that, that is colored all the way through. It just permeates the entire letter that we see this kind of consistency that to remain steadfast, you must trust the genuine word of God and you must Trust that God is with you, that Jesus, grace of God, is with you. Now, it could be your first Sunday at Grace Orange, or maybe it's the first time you've hopped onto the live stream, and you're like, well, we're at the end of Second Thessalonians. So it might be helpful to you if uh, you're brand new at Grace to remember, maybe point out where we've been, and if you've been here with us, remember where we've been, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've gathered, what we've processed, what we've learned. This letter, it's a short letter, and it, we, 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 I started preaching it right after I preached 1 Thessalonians, and if you're new to grace, our primary way of preaching is take the Bible and go verse by verse through it and, and seek to, to say, what does it say, what does it mean, and then how does it apply to our lives? But as we finish this letter, the first thing, and it started with grace and peace, right? Grace and peace from God to you, and you're going to make progress via persecution. He's writing to a church that is struggling through this persecution uh, that is coming their way, but also the problems of life and also their own pride at times. But he tells them right off the bat, so they'll be front of mind, righteous judgment is coming. Righteous judgment is coming on those that are persecuting you, and we need to pray. 
And if you look in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, here's what he prays. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that, here's the reason, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, drenched in, in Jesus, and drenched in grace. And, and then in chapter 2, he just goes into, Jesus is coming back. You're facing all these issues, and Jesus is coming back, and don't let anyone deceive you about it. Because there are people that were starting to forge letters and saying, Paul said this. It was putting them, pushing them off base, giving them lies. And he says, the man of lawlessness is coming, a deception, a delusion is coming, don't be tricked, don't be led astray. No, he says, in, in Christ you have eternal comfort and good hope by grace. That's what every believer has, eternal comfort, comfort that lasts forever, and good hope, hope that is sure, hope that is fixed by God's grace. So he says to them in chapter 2, stand firm then, hold on, help each other hold on, hold to the word. Pray for God's power. He even says, pray for us. And then he gets into chapter 3, and he's like, you know what? Your best defense, the faithfulness of Christ, the trustworthiness of Scripture. That's your best defense. The best defense is to have a God-directed heart, that you wouldn't fall by the wayside, that you wouldn't cave in to the pressure. And then we see near the end of chapter 3, he gets into some tough stuff. There's some people that are disobeying and disobedient in the church, and they're making problems, and he tells them, if you're going to be obedient, here's what you need to do. Keep the command. Do what the word says and correct the unruly. There was division between workers and loafers and people that were being busybodies and they were threatening to split the church and discipline was needed and he gave clear instructions. He said, here is what you do in case the disobedient minority persists in their disobedience. And he's hoping that they'll repent. That's what we always should hope. It's always the goal that people would, would repent and reconcile. But it shows this picture of a church that loves their family in Christ and, and just does what God says and continue to do good even if you're misunderstood in the process. Continue to obey the word of God even if it's painful to do so. And to continue to warn the disobedient even if you're tempted to ignore it and say, I don't want to face it. I don't want to deal with it. It's easier not to bring anything up. And then we saw last week in verse 16, and I had to take it one verse at a time. I had to take it just alone because it was Paul praying that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Peace, would grant the church peace, that he would source it and sustain it, and that he would give them peace in the midst of problems of life, in the midst of persecution. And I, I mentioned last week, uh, the enemy of your peace in your life is not the people in your life. It's not the problems of your life. It's rooted in your pride. And the answer is always to return to Jesus, to repent, to seek reconciliation, to believe the word of God, to obey the word of God. Because the Prince of Peace has made peace by the blood of his cross. And Jesus, the Lord of Peace, is our peace. He's always with us. And what sweet assurance this gives us and here, Paul is praying for what Jesus has already promised to provide, the best kind of prayer to have, and then these two final verses. 
And I'll tell you, most commentators ignore them. Most Christians ignore them as they're reading through. Most, most commentators tack it on, or most preachers will tack it on to a, a closing benediction and, and kind of be done with it. I'm just too stubborn for that. So we're going to take these two verses as they stand, these first, um, the final verses, uh, because they remain so consistent. That it's, believe the genuine word and, and believe that God is with you in his grace. And this is what I want you to see right off the bat. In verse 17, if you would put your eyes on that verse, it says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. It's my handwriting, essentially. And the idea is that you can rest assured of the genuineness of the Word of God. That today, in 2022, you can rest assured of the genuineness of the Word of God. What Paul was telling them is, what I'm writing is genuine. And the Holy Spirit would be leading the church to uh, acknowledge that this is Scripture. Even Peter himself, at the end of 2 Peter, he says there are people who are unstable, who twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. Yes, there are some things that Paul wrote that are hard to understand, but the, the unstable twist them as they do the rest of the Scriptures. The church was already seeing that God was speaking His Word, and people like Paul were writing it down. And Paul says, you can rest assured that what I am giving you right now is the truth. It is from me. It's genuine. He takes the pen from his scribe, the amanuensis, who would write at his dictation, and he writes the final words with his own hand. This was what he did. And he says, this is the sign of genuineness in everything I write. This is the distinguishing mark. This is my autograph. This is my signature. This is real. It's the way I write. It's my handwriting. Every time I write, it's a distinguishing mark. It's the sign by which the letter was known to be genuine. Why would he do this? Why would he point it out? Because this was his regular practice. He would usually sign a letter that he had dictated. But he was aware of deceitful activity of forgers and of fakers. And he adds his mark of genuineness to authenticate Yes, it was his practice, but he had to point it out here because there were people that were saying, hey, Paul told us something about the return of Christ and they were twisting things to deceive believers. People that were in league with Satan were, were attempting to say that, that this is what God wants you to know. So do this instead. Paul's setting the record straight. You know, if you ever get an email from me, by the way, that says, hey, this is Mike. I'm in trouble. You know, I'm down in South America right now. I need you to send me $10,000. Can you just delete the email and not ask me if I'm really in South America uh, and I need $10,000? I'm, I'm just please, okay? You don't know how many people get hold of me. Hey, I got an email from you. You need a bunch of, you need $500 of gift certificates in the next 20 minutes and I'm supposed to mail them to some place and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, please just delete that. I do that when I get yours. When I get those fake things from you, I don't ask every one of you, did you mean to send this, you know? Oh, you were hacked. But Paul is saying, look, there, are, there is deceitful activity going on, and, and you need to know that my signature is valid. It's really from me. He probably closed every letter this way, wanted every church to know his distinctive signature, so that if someone tries to forge, or if someone tries to come along and say, oh, he didn't say that, there would be proof. 
Someone had tried to forge a letter in his name, presumably, because it says, don't be quickly shaken as if uh, by a word or by a letter presuming to be from us. But they could trust that this was genuine. It was really from Paul. And again, the Holy Spirit led the church to recognize this as a part of the canon or the collection of Scripture by, uh, the, before the end of the first century. And he's saying, this, this is clear. This is not a forgery. It's not false. It is genuine. You can trust it. So usually near the end, sometimes he draws attention to it, like here, says this is real. In Galatians, he picks up the pen and writes several verses at the end of Galatians 6. He probably wrote all of Philemon. It's a very short, brief letter. Probably wrote it all with his own hand. But what he was writing down was not like you writing a thank you note or you sending off an email. This was not just any letter. God was speaking. In fact, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, it said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead rapidly, literally run really fast, literally keep running really fast and keep being glorified, keep being honored. More people receive the good news, more people receive the word of God. Victories are won, Christ is glorified. Think of the amazing life change that happened in Thessalonica. People, their lives changed absolutely transformed by Jesus. And the word was the letter. Through this letter, he has been referencing a similar idea. He says in chapter one, we boast about you to all the churches because of your steadfastness, because of your faith. They're believing in Jesus. They're believing the word in all your persecutions and all the afflictions that you are enduring. He says in chapter one, our testimony to you was believed. What we gave you, what God told us to give you, you believed it. And he says in chapter 2, don't be shaken, don't be deceived, believe the word. He says in chapter 2, God chose you as the first fruits through sanctification by the Spirit to be saved and believe the truth. Believe it. He says, stand fast, in the second chapter, verse 15, stand fast and hold to the word of God. And he says in chapter 3, pray that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored. That's happened among you. Your own testimony describes it. And, and he says, obey the word and remain steadfast. And it's like, it's like a pilot flying the instruments. ILS, instrument landing system. We have some pilots in our church. Some, one pilot I'm looking at right now who told me that he was uh, coming into Colorado Springs and he was breaking through clouds 300 yards, 300 feet from the runway. And he sent me a video of him doing this. And he's using the, the ILS system, and I believe it was, it was invented in 1929. It's a lot better now. And, and it, he can tell you, Cody right here, he can tell you later all about it. But here's the thing. He says, we broke through the clouds, and we landed like within 300 feet. And he showed me the video, and it wasn't like, oh, no, there's clouds. They're flying the instruments. It was like a walk in the park. It was like easy peasy. It was like... Not a problem. I saw the video. It's just boom, boom, down, runway, taxi. I saw it break through the clouds, and I was nervous. I'm looking at him, and he's like, everything's business as usual, because he's flying the instruments. Christian, you need to fly the instruments. You need to believe the word of God, not your own mind, not thinking, I'm going to crash and burn. Believe the word of God. Believe the genuine word of God. 
Quit questioning it. Quit being so skeptical about the word of God. Believe the word of God. I believe, I'm one of those guys that is foolish enough to believe that the bare word of God read straight up can change your life. Why is the public reading of scripture so good and necessary and important for believers? The genuine word of God points you to what is good and right and true and beautiful. It's not a forged note. We're talking about the reliability of Scripture here, not your own feelings, not your own opinions, that changes like every 30 seconds. Since you've been listening to this sermon, your opinion about certain things in life have changed. You're going back and forth, thinking about what's going on in your life, and you're stirred up and whatever. Just tell yourself the Word of God. Believe, believe that something is at stake. Believe that sola scriptura, like the Reformers did, those who gave their life for the Word of God, because a steadfast church believes the genuine word of God, trusts it, follows it, obeys it. Now there have been many questions raised by unbelievers and by people professing to know Christ about the historical reliability of Scripture. Many, and I hope it's not you, but it might be. I'm not condemning you. I'm just going to point something out lovingly because I want you to believe the trustworthy word. I want you to believe the genuine word of God. But many have a skeptical view of the truthfulness of Scripture, the reliability of Scripture. In the 20th century, Sir William Ramsey set out to disprove the historical reliability of the Gospel of Luke. And I'm thinking, you know, Leave it up to a foolish human to pick Luke, of all people, to try to discredit. The, uh, the, the, and here's what he, by the way, so he went through this whole process, and he concluded that the beloved physician is the most verifiable historian in all of antiquity. In the 1970s, Ligonier Ministries held a conference on the trustworthiness of Scripture, on the authority of Scripture. It was a few years before uh, the 1978 uh, Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, they had this conference in Pennsylvania, and they invited all these scholars to come. And every scholar, without collusion, without saying, hey, we're all going to give the same answer, every scholar who's asked the question, why do you believe and, and have confidence in the authority of Scripture, gave this answer. I ground my confidence in the authority of Scripture on the authority of Christ. On the authority of Christ. Now what happened, and this will happen to you if you give the same answer, it will happen to me if I give the same answer, and I do give the same answer. It is the right answer, by the way. You ground the authority of Scripture on the authority of Christ. And what will you be accused of is circular reasoning. College professors will accuse you. Uh, neighbors will accuse you. You'll read liberal, uh, progressive uh, theologians. They'll accuse you through their book. That you'll be accused of circular reasoning, and, and they'll say, well, to say that you believe the Bible is true because Jesus taught it as found in the Bible can't be used as, a, as an argument. And to that I say, no. There's a linear argument with this, and it moves progressively through stages. And the first thing is, you ask this question, how is, how is Christ's authority related to the authority of the Bible? Just ask the question. How did Jesus exercise his authority, his lordship, over the church. 
you can ask this question. How does Jesus exercise his lordship over you? How do you hear the command of God if not through the scriptures? People are going to say, well, my church told me what to believe, or my mind told me. I heard something in my head. Now you're going to go with faulty reasoning, logic that has been proved uh, untrue many times if you're going to believe humans over God. Many Christians will say, many professing Christians will say, I get my idea of the authority of Scripture from the church or from my own ideas. And they they don't say they get it from Christ. If you're doing that, please don't do it anymore because you're choosing changing opinions over the fixed, true north compass setting of the word of God, the objective word of God. Many Christians will say they love Jesus but don't trust scripture. It's not intellectually consistent. A skeptical view of scripture does not fit with the lordship of Christ. We need to realign with the lordship of Christ, become realigned with Christ and scripture. It's not consistent to say I believe in the lordship of Christ but I don't believe in the reliability of scripture there there is no rational foundation for Christian profession of faith in Christ if you don't believe the Bible is trustworthy it's it's irrational to profess Christ as Lord if you don't accept the word as trustworthy and reliable there are, there are rules by which historians figure out and measure and evaluate historical sources for their credibility, and they do empirical investigation, and they, they establish verification historically, and they, they say it's either false or true. So Sir William Ramsey, this skeptical scholar, he examined Paul's journeys geographically. He went on an expedition to all these places. And he researched the historical document's reliability, even at the same time having preconceived hostile opinions against it. And what he found was evidence of truthfulness. That the things that Luke said, that people were saying that in that time, that that, that they they were using the kind of words that Luke was using. And what happened was he, so Sir William Ramsey takes this scientific expedition and he finds out, this is his bottom line conclusion, Luke has the best credentials of any historian in history. And every, and, and archaeology backed him up. Every shovel full of dirt gave more proof, more credence, new details about the trustworthiness of the documents of Scripture well-identified, well-verified. There are so many documents that people can go and look at that are manuscripts of Scripture. There's no reason to have like unverified theories. It's just there. There's a historical evaluation of it, and the scriptural documents are reliable. Why is that important? Because we have a written word. God spoke, and it was written down. God guided them, told them what to write. We have a Bible that is written. And so they found exact titles used by Luke. Luke called Jesus Lord. In in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and he says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
but it's historically verifiable. And the question you have to ask yourself when faced with the genuineness of Scripture is, do you submit to the authority of Christ? Well, I mean, what did Jesus teach about the nature of Scripture? How did he teach about Scripture? This, this true prophet of God, truly and accurately speaking for God, what did he say? Well, according to Jesus, the, the Bible is more than historically reliable and generally reliable. More than. It's the word of God that cannot be broken. As, as R.C. Sproul put it, Jesus believed in, in verbal jot and tittle inspiration, every period, every comma. Jesus taught inspiration and inerrancy and infallibility, every word fulfilled. There is an absolute reliability and what will happen is the liberal theologian, the progressive theologian will come along and say, well, Jesus was not all-knowing. And they will say, the Lord of glory was wrong. And what happens is they have a faulty understanding of the nature of Christ. And they ultimately miss Christ as they reject Scripture's authority. Because those who, those who say that Jesus was wrong has no leg to stand on. It's like as if you said, I'm going to take a bike ride a 100-mile bike ride on a bike with flat tires and the rims, the wheels, are all mangled and bent out of proportion. The brakes aren't screwed on right. The handlebars are wobbly and loose. The front fork isn't attached. And it's just a recipe for a crash and burn. Confessing Jesus as Lord without believing that the word of God is absolutely reliable and true is a recipe for a crash and burn. It is no little thing to reject the authority of Christ. As Psalm 2 put it, the Lord will laugh derisively at his enemies in his wrath. As Psalm 1 put it, you must meditate on God's word day and night and then you will be like a tree firmly planted. I told our men of the word study on Friday morning, we need the word of God more than we're getting and we need to do it more than we're doing. We stake our lives on the reliability of the word of God, the genuineness of the word of God. This is why Paul, at the end of this letter, has to say to them, this is my signature. This is not a fake. This is not a forgery. This is real. And, and by the way, we, we apply the word of God in every area of life. We bring it to bear in every area of life, into your heart, into your home, in the social issues and political issues and personal issues. And we don't do it arrogantly. We do it insistently, though. And we, and we trust the word and live the word with no compromise. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, what kind of person is, is made who believes the genuineness of Scripture? What kind of church do we become when we believe the genuineness? This church was built on the Word of God is going to be at the forefront, Christ and Scripture. What happens is it gives you a global vision that is bigger than, than you. It's about a gracious God giving a genuine word, and we're not just holding on to our opinions we're not just having an attitude of scripture that is unprincipled. We are principled and we want to be precise about it. We don't want to be disobedient to it. We want to be obedient to it. We don't want to be prideful about it. We want to be humble about it. 
And all of us, every one of us has questions that can't get answered this side of heaven. And, and that's just fine to have the questions that need answers, but you have to reject the uncertainty of human reasoning over and over again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your understanding. And it, it takes you back as far, if you're gonna believe the genuineness of scripture, you're gonna go all the way back as far as Genesis and say Adam and Eve were real. They were real people, literal people. And, and that Jesus is the word made flesh and we have a more sure word. We have the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We have the Bible. And, and by the way, certainty is not a bad thing. Certainty does not make you weak. It makes you wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You need to be certain that the Bible is genuine. Certainty is not a sin. It's a sovereign gift of the grace of God that renews sincere minds. That's why Paul says, trust the genuine word. Believe it. Believe it. Confusion is not authored by God. The Bible is clear. And the church... Every Christian needs to play offense and defense. You need to hold fast the trustworthy word and you need to advance it. You need to defend the faith and propagate the faith, not give up ground. I am foolish enough to believe that the foolishness of preaching is used by the Holy Spirit to change lives. That God uses foolish people like me to give the gospel and change lives. That God does it. Even the bare word of God read straight up can change your life. And it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about what did God, who is always right, say so that we won't be wrong. Everyone can't be right. All these views, all these opinions, don't get it wrong. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Cut it straight. Dig for authorial intent. What did God mean? You don't want me to come up here and tell you what I think about it. You want to know what God says about it. You want the genuine art article. You want not a fake, not an imposter, not a half-truth, not a lie, because Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Kids, you trust your parents' word. You trust your parents' word. Why? Because they're trustworthy. They love you. So when your parents tell you, you know, I, We've got to set this limit because we love you and we see something in your life that we need to like, guard against. Listen to them. Kids, listen to their parents because they're trustworthy, but what we need to be assured of as believers is be assured that God is true, though everyone is a liar, meaning we're not perfect in our understandings, and the parents and pastors don't always get it right, but God never gets it wrong. I remember when I was in college at... Cal State Long Beach in the 1980s, early 1980s, and I came to know Christ, and I was excited about the Word of God, and I would bring my Bible to class with me. I would put it under, on the shelf under my, my desk, and I was somewhat shy to speak up about anything about Jesus or anything, but there were Christians in my classes that spoke up very boldly, and they got reamed by professors who didn't believe the Bible. Even when you go to a secular university, uh, sometimes they'll have you know, the Bible as literature classes, and you'll just get these professors that are just you know, wiping it off the table and saying it's not even true. And I had Christian friends that were standing up and saying, wait a minute, can't we talk? And they were just getting shouted down in the 1980s. 
But we need to preach the truth and leave the results to God. Do it lovingly and humbly, boldly. The first thing we see here, and, and we see it all the way through, it's like, again, that cement that just goes all the way through. It's colored, it's, it's flavored by this. Rest assured of the genuineness of the word of God. Rest assured. And then verse 18 tells you, rest assured of the grace of God with you. Jesus is with you, believer. You're not alone. You're stuck on a ledge. You don't know where to go in life. You're, you're, you're confused. You're, 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 you're boxed in. You've painted yourself into a corner. Jesus is with you. This final word, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, it isn't just a bookend. It is, it is the deal. It is the idea. It is, it is what, what starts the letter, what ends the letter, that the steadfast church enjoys the presence of God in Christ, enjoys the peace and the provision and the grace of God. And do you notice something? I want you to notice something. In, in verse 18, I want you to notice you all. Y'all. <laughs> you all. I want you to notice this because the benediction that he pronounces goes to everyone in the church. No one is excluded from Paul's well wishes to the church, even those he had rebuked, even those he had had to have a tough conversation with. And twice in the last three verses, he refers to the whole church, to all the members of the church. He has his tenderness for the whole flock. He loves the whole flock. He said some hard things to offenders. But he closes, and we need to learn from this, he closes by bringing them all together. There are people that you've had issues with. There are people that you, you avoid. There are people that you've had to have words with. There are people that you need to repent and, and go back and reconcile with and, and come together with in Christ. They were all included in his final prayer. We need to learn from that. He brings the whole church together. And he brings them under the, the, the banner of grace and peace. Verse 16, the, the, the Lord of peace would grant you peace. The, the letter started like that, grace and peace to you from God. He ends like that. And it's very common, it's very prominent, because these, these preeminent gifts of God to the church, grace and peace, are so foundational. There, there's no grace without peace, there's no peace without grace. The unmerited favor which God secures and bestows salvation upon the undeserving, it freely epitomizes the gospel message of the grace of God in Christ that brings peace. In Romans, he says, the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May be with all of you. There's been a resurgence in recent years of reading the Puritans. I love to read the Puritans, and the Puritans understood the grace of God. Thomas Goodwin said, grace is the freeness of love. Grace is the freeness of love. Richard Sibbs said, what is grace but the beams of Christ, the son of righteousness? Thomas Watson said, the scripture is both the breeder and the feeder of grace. The Puritans could rhyme. He says, how is the convert born but by the word of truth, James 1.18? How does he grow but by the sincere milk of the word, 2 Peter 2.2, 1 Peter 2.2? Alexander Peden said this, grace is young glory. Grace is young glory. We sing grace and peace. Oh, how can this be? The matchless king of all paid the blood price for me. 
slaughtered lamb, what atonement you bring. The vilest sinner's heart can be cleansed, can be free. I hope you know this, this, this hope, this gospel hope today. Jesus shed his blood in the place of lost sinners so that all who believe would have his peace and grace and be reconciled and be forgiven. We sing it, oh, what an amazing mystery. What an amazing mystery that your grace, oh God, has come to me. If you're a believer, you're, you're, you're awestruck by the grace of God. If, when you woke up this morning, I hope you just said, thank you, Jesus, for a new day. And by your grace, I'm, gonna, I'm saved by grace. I live by grace. I serve by grace. I'll die by grace, and by grace I will be with you forever. Even as Paul said to the Thessalonians, when Jesus comes for his church, then we will always be with the Lord. From that point on, wherever Jesus is, we'll be with him. That's our hope. God's grace has come to us and is with us and won't leave us and will never leave us. We're planting some trees and things in our yard right now, and I don't know about you, but every time I plant a seed or a tree, I think to myself, I hope it lives. It, that's what happens. And, and every time I plant a seed or a tree, I think it might die. If you buy it from a certain store, if it dies, you can take it back and get your money back. But we're always wondering about that because there's all these different things converging, all these different elements, all these different pieces to the puzzle, and we might not water it. We might not put it in the right spot. might not get enough sun. And all these variables. And if the tree grows and if it bears fruit, you're like, praise the Lord, it, it worked. But God plants ever-living trees. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you live and, and you're saved and you live all by grace. It's like 400% of the time. 400% by grace. Everything covered by grace. This grace in which we stand. You need to understand the grace of God. Fill your mind with the things of God. Fill your mind with the grace of God and you'll be driven by the grace of God. Remember Jesus risen from the dead. You know, when we sing deeply from the heart, gospel-drenched songs, Bible-based songs, it, it touches us to the very depth of our souls and, and, and you find yourself waking up the next morning with the words of scripture on your mind, with, with gospel hope on your mind, when your scripture and gospel drenched and focused and, and those words get in our heart as we sing them. What is crucial for you and I is that we know that the word of God is genuine and that God's grace is with us, that the peace, the presence of God, the grace of God, these blessings of God to fully appreciate them and fully live in light of them, they need to be read in context. That, that you, you need to share Paul's perspective on peace and the presence of God and the grace of God. And, and his perspective is what drives it all is the supremacy of the word of God in the life of the church. There's a question facing every Christian and every church in every age and every time and every place. And it's, what's your relationship to the Bible? Like, like DTR it. Define the relationship between you and the Bible. 
If God leads you from Grace Church one day and you go and move to a different place, your question ought to be as you're, you're hoping to land in a good church is, what is their relationship to the Bible? Are they over it or under it? You've got to ask the question for yourself. Am I over the Bible or am I under the Bible? Am I so skeptical of it all the time or do I believe it at face value and then live it? Or am I always pushing against it? People will say, well, the the church created the word. No. People will say, well, people just made it up. No. The word created the church. This chapter we're in that we're closing today, it, it, it gives preeminence to the word of God that it would run ahead and be honored and be glorified. This, this prayer that the word of God would speed on challenges you and I to a, a vision bigger than ourselves. We're not just going to go round and round in circles about our own opinions. We're going to let the word of God be brought to bear on our own hearts in our own homes, and to, the, to every inch of this creation that God enables us to go. There are these repeated commands that are expecting obedience. There are, there are correctives in the Word, this, and, and the corrective in the Word for those handling the Word of God subjectively or selectively is strong. John R.W. Stott said this of those who handle God's word subjectively or selectively. He said, they wander at random through scripture, choosing a verse here and discarding a verse there, like a gardener picking flowers or pulling weeds. They have no concept of a thorough study of the Bible or conscientious submission to its teaching. Let not such a church imagine that it will receive the blessing of the Lord. To despise the word of the Lord is to despise the Lord of the word, to distrust his faithfulness and disregard his authority. We are living in a time that disorients us because we're living in a world of fakes and imitations and twisted lies and it, it is sometimes hard to discern the truth from error and tell the genuine from knockoffs. Easy to get disheartened as we navigate life and you need to settle it in your heart that you're going to believe the word of God. Believe it's genuine. Know the grace of God is with you and then go do what you're called to do in this life with all the gusto you can. Don't fear their intimidations. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you, with gentleness and reverence. Because Jesus is our strong tower. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. And he fortifies his church for, for a world-spanning ministry. Remember when I was a kid? Uh, they, they, I think they still do it today, but they... they, they Fortify cereal with vitamins. So you can go eat your, you know, Captain Crunch and feel good about it. Because it's fortified with vitamins. But on a on a much grander scale, God fortifies his church with his word, bolsters up the the, the floundering and helps the church harassed by problems and persecution and our own pride to be steadfast and cling to Christ. If you would be steadfast, you must cling to the genuine word and the grace of God and do it with humble boldness and do it with loving certainty. And I I am consistently spurred on by this, how God uses his word to save and sanctify. 
Praise God as we behold his glory. He is a good, he is a good God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, first hour, I saw something and I thought, good dad alert. I had to point that out. And so I pointed it out. It was Timothy Ma, who was back on the drums. And, and his wife, Eden, was back over here on the keyboards. And so his kids were all sitting right there in the second row. I love kids in the service, love kids hearing the word with us, being with the church together. And these kids were doing great, okay? They were awesome. But Timothy, as any parent would, is watching his kids. And I saw something. In fact, right before I came up to preach, I asked him, I said, come here, come here. Did I, did I see what I thought I saw? And he goes, yep. I said, good, I'm gonna use you as an example. So what I saw was him giving them a look like, you need to obey what I've instructed you to do, and I'm right here, and I see you, and I'm not going anywhere. In the best possible, most gracious way, that's, that's how God deals with us, like, I'm with you. Obey it, I'm gonna strengthen you. And by the way, it was a great moment. It was, there was nothing wrong going on. The kids were awesome, but there was that knowing look, and it gave me a flashback, because when I was a kid, sitting in church, <laughs> Both my mom and dad were in the choir loft, and I got that look a lot. And I was not as well-behaved as the mall kids. Let me just put it that way, okay? Just by any stretch of the imagination. They, like, they, they eclipsed me by, you know, a hundredfold. What if you were um, walking on a steep stairway, and you get up to a certain point? Say it's as steep as the roof. And you get to a certain point, and you get a little nervous, you don't think you can get down. Well, if you're a kid, you, you, your dad could help you or maybe a friend could help you. And so I've been to this place called Buck Rock, which is uh, in the Sequoias. And it's, it's, it's a, there's like a 400,000 steps going up to uh, the top of this thing. I, I guess it's 120 steps, but it feels like more. And every time I go there, I conquer my fears. I don't want to go up the steps. I, I'm serious. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't like the heights. But every time I go, I'm like, I'm not going to be the one whose kids are going up there and, and dad's not there. You know, they might need someone to help. No, seriously, they, they need to coax me down. And so I get to the top and it's like there's this wooden structure that's a fire lookout in the, in the, that looks all through Kings Canyon. And every time I go there, I'm glad I do, but I'm thinking, now I gotta walk back down. And it's scarier than walking up, let me just tell you that way. But let's say you're a kid and you do that. Your dad says to you, do exactly what I say. I'm here with you. I won't abandon you. This is what God's doing with you and I. He's like, he's like I got this. You, you got this. It's going to be all right. You know, history is moving to its final conclusion. The Antichrist is coming. Right now, there are many Antichrists in the world. What should we be busy with? Herald Christ Jesus' blessings. Herald the gospel message of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Let the word of God, pray that the word of God speed on ahead and, and keep speeding on ahead and keep being glorified and keep being honest honored in your hearts and, and to the ends of the earth. And then humbly enjoy Christ's peace and presence. And Lord, we thank you and praise you and love you and worship you that there is no steep stairway, that there is no fear, that there is no enemy that can defeat the child of God clinging by grace through faith to Christ to his word because you hold us secure you hold us firm you are our fortress our strong tower and we love you because you first loved us and want to serve you with our whole heart we thank you we praise you 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to close singing one last song, To You Be the Glory. So before we close, I'm going to close with uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. But I was doing some math, and it turns out that I've known my beloved wife, Angela, my love very dearly, like 37 years. And we've been married 31 years. We started dating like 34 years ago. It's her birthday today. 
And she does not like to be pointed out or get any like special attention. So don't tell her I told you. Oops, there she is right there. Okay, so anyway, I'm going to be in trouble, but I, I just, you know, want to honor my wife and tell her I hope she has a good birthday. So let's close with uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain